2024, the uh, election budget. Um, there's been so much which has been discussed, so many aspects of it. It's a, been a short budget, as we've been saying, ad nauseum, because uh, it's an interim budget. Joining us now, Dr. Abhishek Madhu Singhvi. He's a three-time sitting MP, a jurist, uh, a senior Congress leader. Thanks uh, very much for being with us and the, for, uh, the former additional Solicitor General of India. Dr. Singhvi, uh, was there anything, if, if I was to ask you about, you about your top two takeaways of this budget, whichever way you feel about it, what would those be? Well, unfortunately, Vishnu, the top two takeaways would be negative. One, the only charitable thing I can find about this budget and the budget speech is its brevity. It was mercifully short. And secondly, I think above all, the negative is that you mention all and sundry, including caste in your speech. You don't mention unemployment. My colleagues have given you figures in the day. I won't bore you with that. Unemployment, urban, unemployment, rural, unemployment, below 25 year graduates, unemployment, 30 to 35 year graduates. These are galloping figures. They are shameful figures. And to give homilies about lots and lots of things, including a kind of a self-congratulatory pat on the back and of course the compulsory obeisance to the prime minister. Uh, it sounds very empty and hollow when you compare it with these figures. But Dr. Singhvi, the question will also be asked that, uh, that, that the government has been emphasizing on saturation of its schemes. Shouldn't that be seen as secularism in action? Well, I like to see secularism in action, things which you see on the streets and read in the newspapers every day. That is secularism in action for me how you treat inclusively or otherwise the minorities, how they are threatened with sedition, how they live in fear, etc., etc. I don't think that's a fair definition of secularism. But talking of your word saturation, I have here, interestingly, Maria, a very, very long list of underutilized, underspent funds on major schemes. This is something which has kept the attention of many commentators today. The list runs from Ayushman Bharat Mission, Swaj Bharat Mission, Grameen, Urban, Pradhan Mantri, Ayushman, Bharat, Modernization of Police Forces. I can go on and on. 20 items I have here. There are underspendings and underutilization from 25% to 33%, sometimes even 40%. Now, that is not the point. It's not only the figures. The point is it shows a complete mismatch in the design, in the allocation, and it shows more seriously a very inefficient utilization. You block funds, you allocate funds, and you're not able to use them. So sure. where is the saturation? But Dr. Singhvi, if I may, I wanted to come back to the point on um, <clears throat> the lack of the mention of the word unemployment in this brief speech. I, I would suggest the government would counter that by saying, number one, 25 crore people have been elevated from multidimensional poverty in 10 years, number one. Number two, Skill India has trained 1.4 lakh youth the Skill India mission has upskilled 54 lakh people. And number three, when you're looking at a 1 lakh crore fund for startups and uh, people with, uh, with innovative ideas, then that is something which creates <coughs> jobs, employment. Hmm. So if they've not spoken about unemployment, I seem to have identified areas where employment generation would take place. Okay, now let's look at it one by one. Your first point, what was the one you mentioned first? I'm first sorry, one I'm was just... poverty. It's not linked directly. Okay, poverty. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, poverty, very interesting. First and foremost, 
uh, you know, this is very typical of this government. You redefine the rules of the game as the game is in progress. So first you redefine and define differently poverty. You cannot handle the figures by which the highest ever upliftment out of our BPL line since independence occurred between 2004 and 2014. There are established published figures. We lifted crores on the old definition of poverty. Now you can't compare with that because you lose out. So what you do is you change the definition to multidimensional. Now, first of all, therefore, you're not able to compare apples with apples, oranges with oranges. Multidimensional is far more subjective. I'm not saying people have not been lifted out of poverty, but multidimensional poverty is a self-serving, very subjective parameter. Mm -hmm. Then I want you to also, on your second point, skill development. Skill development. Let's now, now, now let's just just consider these four figures, which my colleague has given you today. 15 to 29 years is 10% average. 18, actually 13% in urban, 8% in rural, average 10% unemployment. Graduates under 25 is 42%. What are you talking of skill, India? Which skill? The skill of being unemployed. No, no, but sir, I'm not sure you can link this to unemployment when the effort is great. I I understand the point you're making about unemployment, but if if, if 1.4 crore youth have been trained in this finite period, They've been given additional uh, skills. They aren't, you know, skills which help them to get jobs, which I'll people who don't go to colleges or universities, you know, have no, typically not these are, Then What's wrong okay. with that? First thing, uh, Sean, these are all old schemes. We have also got them. And all of us are working towards skilling people in vocational spheres. Yes. Number two, what is the ultimate object of these skilling people? Employment. Employment. These people also fall within the overall rubric of the figures I'm giving. So you are making a dent, but it's less than a drop in the so ocean. So what you're saying is that people are skilled, but there is no data which has been provided to indicate how many of these skilled people have got exactly. a job. Exactly. And the government takes refuge frequently by telling you they're self-employed. By self-employed, people are also counted in the unemployment figures. Okay. I know that, 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 that's an important point. I take that point that there is no data. And that's something we'll, we, we need to come back you are uh, not doing this killing job uh, show in the abstract. You are doing it to sh- deal with employment correct. and overall because, belied, of course, there is no doubt that Skill India is a very important thing. It's been a program much before the BGP government came in and, and everybody worked towards it. And but the, third the point, point is taking a very small dent. The third point, which was uh, on the 1 lakh crore investment fund, which I, I would suggest is essentially meant for job creation. Well, I would concede <coughs> that this government is doing something in a focused way for infrastructure, especially in the area of roads. But it is not converting to employment because these are proposals. These are plans. Right. These are investments in future. All right, Dr. Singhvi, I'm only interrupting you now because I need to just quickly move on. We've got a key guest waiting. Thanks, sir, very much uh, for sharing those details. We've got uh, the Civil Aviation Minister of India, Jyotiraditya Sindhya, joining us at this stage. Good evening, Mr. Sindhya. Thanks very much for being with us. Infrastructure spends and infrastructure development are obviously critical in whichever aspect of the economy that we look at. Do you believe that enough was said and done in this interim budget to indicate that that will remain a core focus? What will remain the core focus, Vishnu, is the uh, the rise of India, the uh, 
the move of India under Prime Minister Modi to become an Atmanirbhar country, uh, the move of India uh, under Prime Minister Modi uh, to become a Vishwaguru, uh, the move of India under Prime Minister Modi to move from being a Vikashil Desh to a Viksit Desh. Mm. Uh, and everything uh, un uh, 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 as part of the budget or policy making, uh, that is the core element around uh, which everything revolves. We have very clearly identified four sectors, uh, women, youth, uh, the, uh, the uh, Kisan Farmers, and the yeah. economically deprived. And I think if... Uh, uh, if the if you are able to make sure that the empowerment of these four sectors happen, then you will see the wholesome growth of India. India cannot grow, as the Prime Minister said, through just purely few verticals. Every single individual across 140 crore of Indians needs to be empowered. And therefore the thrust on PM Kisan Samman Nidhi, therefore the thrust on PM Fasal Bima Yojana, therefore the thrust on nano urea. Would you and I ever have thought that nano urea will ultimately replace DAP and other forms of fertilizer? But that's something that's on the anvil. So there is innovation, there is new way of thinking, there is bringing international technology right down to the grassroots, permeate to the grassroots level at the base level happening in India. The application of drones in the agrarian sector, the application of drones for cadastral surveys to get your uh, rights on your property in rural India, which could have never been thought of before. The fact that a citizen in rural India today can take a loan, avail of a loan facility based on his cadastral survey, uh, something that could never be contemplated before. Similarly, for youth. The fact that you've got seven IITs, seven IIMs that have been set up in the last nine years, close to about 16 or 17 AIMS institutes, 390 universities, a 1 lakh crore fund that's being put up for new ideas and incubators uh, in terms of a loan facility for youth. Uh, the skilling of youth uh, through the skill mission. Uh, the engagement of the youth with Pariksha Parcharcha. So all of these are coming together of the mission mode that the Prime Minister is on. But Minister, Similarly, the same for point. women. Sure. The, the, uh, the empowerment of women through one-third in Lok Sabha, uh, the triple talaq being done away with, uh, the women being part of the ASHA uh, network being part of the Ayushman card, 10 crore women getting Ujwala Yojana facilities, and I myself have given out uh, these uh, uh, facilities to many beneficiaries across the length and breadth of India. And the brightness in their face when they get these facilities, which were hitherto never even thought of. Yeah. Uh, uh, the fact that you've got close to about uh, 8 to 10 crore women in SAGs, of which the Prime Minister wants to convert 2 to 3 crore into Lakhpati Didis. Right. And my drone... Uh, of, of, the, of the civil aviation ministry is a part of that, where yeah. 10,000 women will be trained on drones. They will be given drones at close to 80% uh, uh, of, uh, of a subsidy. They will be given the insurance for drones and then they will become drone pilots in rural India. So this is the massive transformation that India is looking at. 
much aside from the huge capex program hmm. of building ports highways railways metros airports so look at the huge move that india has gone on and let me just sum it up by saying that that uh, video of uh, president macron in uh, jaipur along with prime minister modi where he buys uh, president macron a, a cup of tea uh, a cup of chai in jaipur and he buys it through his upi mobile app and president macron then comments that can you give me this technology hmm. here is a case of a western leader asking for technology from india that is a made in india technology yes uh, mr sindhya even your political opponents certainly are lauding you as far as capex announcement and and uh, infrastructure push is concerned but they say that the government is not presenting the real picture of inequality that the government is not presenting the right picture of unemployment that you talk about alternate employments but the cmi data which is the traditional form of looking at employment figures have not presented the right picture they aren't really talking about the employment opportunities that the government seems to be projecting about uh maria is good to hear you um uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show with you and vishnu uh, as usual what else can you expect from the opposition maria uh they have a, a stinted vision uh they had a 10 year tenure where they did uh, no translation of grassroots development uh, uh we had former prime ministers who said that 100 rupees would be sent from the center and only 15 rupees would reach the labharti today through dbt close to about 28 lakh crore rupees have been transferred without one rupee being siphoned left or right straight to the beneficiary 2.74 lakh crore of government money has been saved through the use of it of direct transfer into people's accounts employment has been created across the spectrum the pli schemes that we uh, that prime minister has brought about have brought in a new era of value addition in each one of our sectors whether it's electronics whether it's semiconductors whether it's telecom whether it's drones whether it's specialty steel whether it is textile so india is no longer an exporter and a manufacturer of commodity alone it is now a manufacturer and exporter of value added products and that's where the maximum margin comes in that leads to greater employment take my sector alone you've had the first fall final assembly line of c295 aircraft joint venture between airbus and tata uh, happened for the first time in india yep. you've got boeing sourcing close to a, a billion dollar worth of products from india you've got airbus sourcing close to 750 million dollars worth of products from india airbus has announced with tata uh the accurel helicopter being produced in india so if that is not creating employment then what is sure. today india is the second largest mobile producer for the world the third largest automobile producer for the world and please don't forget that we are coming on the backdrop of a huge uh, hammer uh, that the world has faced in terms of covid and even in that environment a country that is today producing 6.7% gdp growth rate where the imf and the world bank chief themselves are saying india which was a bogey in the train of growth of the world 
has today become the engine of growth right. for the world. India today is producing 15% of growth of the world GDP alone as a country. That is the transformation that has taken place under Prime Minister Modi. All right. Uh, Minister Jyotiraditya Sindhya, thank you very much uh, you know, for giving us the, the, the larger picture of what this budget is all about uh, and uh, the, the vision of India and uh, indeed what we have achieved. Maria, before we go on, there's a little bit of breaking news coming in. Please go ahead. Um, this is from the Defense Security Cooperation Agency of the United States and comes amidst reports uh, that there was some effort in the United States to block the sale of MQ-9B Predator drones, Sea Guardian drones, for the Indian Air Force, the Army, and particularly the Indian Navy. I'm just reading out the first few lines where there's a complete, uh, in a sense, uh, if not a denial of the article, but the article suggests, this notification says that, in fact, the deal is very much on. It says, the State Department has made a determination approving a possible foreign military sale to the government of India of MQ-9B remotely piloted aircraft and selected uh, equipment for an estimated cost of $3.99 billion. The Defense Security Cooperation Agency has delivered the required certification hmm. notifying the U.S. Congress of this possible sale today. So this was a critical defense deal which is now going through at a time when reports have suggested that America was uh, trying to stop the sale of this linked to uh, the Pannon case in the United States. Go ahead. Okay, so we should get the next guest on the show. Nilesha, Managing Director, Kotak Mahindra Asset Management uh, Company is joining us live. We also have Shamika Ravi, Member Niti Ayok, Executive Professor at uh, ORF Online as well. So beginning with you, Professor Ravi, uh, your big takeaway, uh, will it be about Nari Shakti and the Yuva? Because, uh, you know, that is going to be the talking point going ahead, understanding their electoral role as well. Well, first of all, uh, on the current breaking news that Vishnu just read yes. out. Uh, remember, we live in the realm of uh, narrative economics now. And this is a lesson for the journalists that uh, behind a lot of news, breaking news and clarifications by different departments. Remember, these are not always benign things that happen. We are in the realm of narrative economics and narrative building is very much uh, um, a part of international relations now. Now going beyond that, as far as the budget is concerned, I think it's all about continuity. And uh, it has been made repeatedly, um, clarified repeatedly that look, the vision is really 2047. And uh, the fact that we are going into a general election uh, should not really impede in any way the kind of fiscal consolidation and the long-term structural sort of growth path uh, that we have uh, embarked upon in the last uh, nine, ten years now. So for me, it's really, uh, it's, it's continuity. Uh, as I also mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, a lot of the achievements of the last ten years have been hard fought if you consider the you know, cleaning up of the banks, if you consider the kind of effort that has gone into expanding amenities to the bottom 20%, the kind of effort that has gone into uh, repeat allocations to not just CapEx, but also meeting the uh, sort of the timelines and the deadlines uh, in terms of expansion of, uh, you know, CapEx across the country for core infrastructure development, uh, communications, uh, uh, connectivity, etc. So you are really seeing more of the same. And of course, what has now emerged again as a part of that long-term structural vision 
is that there will be core focus on gyan, which are the four new castes that the Prime Minister repeatedly right. speaks about, which are the garib, and therefore this push on amenities. Uh, and uh, you have seen that in the multidimensional poverty, what has been happening. Uh, it directly impacts the bottom uh, two quintiles, so the poorest people in the society. Uh, youth, uh, youth you are seeing uh, repeatedly, not just in terms of newer allocations and newer announcements, uh, but I've, I've noticed through uh, the series of conversations that different channels are having that there are questions on unemployment. And I think it needs to be clarified that, you know, uh, I'm not going to quote private data set because proprietary private data, I mean, it, it, you know, uh, they aren't really as representative uh, or open uh, source like the government data. So I will uh, focus on the PLFS. And I really encourage others to replicate and, and verify it for themselves. But the PLFS is very clear that in the last uh, six to seven years, uh, labor force participation rate, which means people of working age, whether they're either working or looking for work, that has steadily increased. Uh, we had less than 50% labor force participation rate. Today, that number is above 55%. And this is happening for every cohort, including one of the stickiest, you know, the, the most tricky a segment of the labor market, which is female labor force participation. Hmm. On the unemployment rates, again, we are seeing across every demographic. Uh, about seven years back, unemployment rate was around 6%. Today, if you see steadily over the last seven years, uh, today it is around 4%. And again, unemployment rate by itself has been falling for every demographic uh, across gender, uh, different age groups. So there is reason to believe that, uh, you know, the long-term strategy uh, is working. And uh, therefore, it is not a surprise that not just because of COVID or the tumultuous uh, sort of the global, uh, you know, war tone and trade war tone uh, global economy, we continue uh, to surprise uh, even World Bank IMF estimates when their forecasts are repeatedly, uh, uh, you know, corrected on the okay. upper side. So um, I think, you know, this budget really is, is done what it was supposed to do, okay. which is uh, continue. Yes. Uh, so continuity period. is the big word, uh, as per Professor Ravi Nilesha. What will you? What will be your big takeaway? Of course, this is vote on account. The government has said that this is almost like a disha nirdeshak, uh, a, a, a budget which is showing the direction what will happen in July. Uh, but overall, we do not really expect much of a splash this time. This vote on account or interim budget can be described in one line as citizens' pride and peers' envy. This budget is focused on inclusive growth by continuing some of the subsidies like free food and at the same time trying to support bottom-of-pyramid consumption through focus on fisheries, agriculture, oil seeds and such other stuff. This budget is also focused on future by way of enhanced allocation to investment. Total investment to GDP ratio will go up by 0.2%. And all this is being achieved with path of fiscal prudence. The target of 5.1% fiscal deficit to GDP for next year is well below the estimates of the street. And more importantly, commitment to go below 4.5% in FY26 is also beyond the expectations of the street. So this vote on account is reassuring investors that India will be a prudent country. 
and probably it will justify the premium valuation India is commanding vis-a-vis other peer group. But Mr. Shah, if we were to look at the criticism and uh, as, as Professor Ravi was also highlighting, is the right set of data not being looked at when it comes to the criticism that is there, particularly around rural distress, uh, you know, rising inflation and also the concerns around unemployment? So again, there is not enough data available to make valid judgments. Can Have we measured our economy totality? Is there no blank economy in our country? The answer is obvious. Do we know how much gold we have in our country? We don't know. Are people paying the taxes correctly? Answer is clearly no. So there is... We are an emerging market. There is a need to improve data collection. Shamika herself has written a lot about it. And we can't overnight change our data collection. Everyone is picking up the data which is suiting their narrative. But we'll have to make some reasonable assumptions. Have we moved from 10th largest economy in 2014 to 5th largest today? Answer is yes. Will we become third largest economy and $7 trillion economy by end of this decade? Answer is yes. Now, one can debate about the magnitude, but how can we dispute the direction? Sure. Hmm. Let me just go across to Shabika Ravi. Shabika, um, one of the interesting yeah. aspects of this budget is this uh, 1 lakh crore fund, which has been created up. It does result uh, potentially in massive job creation, but... Uh, it's also about uh, innovation, right? And that's what we want to do as far as our economy is concerned. Uh, innovation, startups, ideas need to be uh, given support, which the government, it seems, is willing to do with very easy terms. The, the term for repayment of, of the amount is 50 years. I mean, it's essentially free. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is, uh, for me, in fact, this was one of the highlights. Uh, and and the reason, Vishnu, is that, you know, if you just look at the, the job scene, uh, while unemployment rates are coming down for all demographics, if you just compare across different age groups, then there's clearly uh, something going on with the youth, people from, let's say, 18 to 29 years of age. After 30, again, unemployment rates really drops, meaning people, you know, they work. They do what they are supposed to do, earn a living and, and, and sort of support the family, etc. But the youth are willing to wait. And this is a global phenomenon, by the way. The OECD and the IMF, they call it youth inactivity, which is really a euphemism for saying, look, they're not actively creating value. They're just willing to wait out for something cool and right and appropriate uh, for their interest. Now, that is happening in India as well. So youth unemployment is... Uh, is, uh, uh, you know, uh, a concern if you think that what exactly do they want? Uh, and it is really to address that kind of a need that we really have to ignite uh, a wider entrepreneurial sort of, a, a, you know, a spirit, unleash that within the you know, society. And I think it's, it's moving in that direction that, look, try out different things. So this is really for the most educated amongst the youth this kind of innovation and access to uh, technology and innovation, this whole fund that has been announced, is uh, catering to that segment, which uh, appears to be uh, holding back and, and, you know, taking exams after exams because they're really searching for what is, uh, you know, appropriate uh, to their interest. 
And, you know, just given the nature of uh, global economy and the way uh, the world is moving and the role of technology as far as uh, businesses and, and, and just nature of economy is concerned, I think the future is in that direction. We really have to uh, support entrepreneurial spirit, uh, which means um, many will fail, but that means we also have to set expectations that, uh, you know, without trying, uh, uh, you know, you don't get anywhere. So, so let's experiment and let's innovate. And the government is here to support. Uh, and that is why this, uh, you know, for me, this is quite an exciting announcement. Let's see how it unfolds. All right. Well, I'd like to thank you all very much uh, for joining us. We're going to continue with our big interviews coming up, uh, a very special interview with Union Minister Rajiv Chandrasekhar uh, as we continue to deep dive into uh, the budget, what it suggests, what it says. Uh, does it meet the aspirations of so many across our country? That's all coming up after a short break. Well, joining us now, the Union Minister Rajiv Chandrasekhar. Thanks, Mr. Chandrasekhar, very much uh, for being with us. It's an important day today. Uh, the budget, one of the key points mentioned by the Finance Minister was on the Skill India mission, having trained 1.4 crore uh, youths. That's something that you deal with very, very closely. Um, in your estimate, how many of these individuals have actually gotten jobs or are in a position to shortly be employed? Look, uh, obviously, it's extremely difficult to tell you precisely what the the actual number of jobs that these people have got, because this is over a period of, as you know, the last five to six years. But from every sample survey that we, we, we do, we see very high percentage of these uh, people who have been skilled, reskilled or upskilled, uh, either making uh, upward mobility progress in a job that they already hold or get new jobs or are entering into something that they uh, look at as micro-entrepreneurship or self-employment. Vishnu, the reason this is important is that in 2014, uh, when Prime Minister Narendra Modiji became Prime Minister, it is important for all of us to realize that after 65 years of independence, out of a workforce of 42 crore Indians that woke up every morning and went to work every day to feed their families and to look after their families, 31 crore Indians were unskilled and uneducated and therefore were being made to work without any skills or without any uh, formal education. This was the state of the uh, workforce in 2014, 65 years out of independence. And it is that uh, that the Prime Minister through Skill India Mission has deliberately, systematically tried to alter, tried to change. And with the national education policy, for example, when 1.5 crore youngsters would drop out of school every year and join the workforce without skills, the national education policy today ensures not one youngster drops out of school. If he drops out of school or she has to drop out of school for any reason, it drops out without skills because from the sixth standard onwards, skilling is made part of the curriculum. So it is a very qualitative <coughs> and structural uh, redrawing of how the government and how the country treated the youth and treated those in the workforce in our country. It was simply uh, a, a situation before 2014 where people were left uh, to their own devices, to their own fate, without the government uh, intervening to help them in any way. And now we have as a combination of education policy and the Skill India mission, we have, in a sense at least, 
uh, I, I don't claim to say that we have solved the entire problem, but we have certainly created a movement where skilling and education is creating opportunities uh, and creating youth that are better aligned to these new emerging opportunities in our economy. You know, you're speaking about skilling, but there's also the entire aspect of innovation, which is found mentioned in the budget, a corpus of one lakh crore rupees with a 50 year interest free loan. So, you know, the rate of return is absolutely minimal um, across sectors, including defense. That's something that interests you very closely. How important is this uh, as a key element of what, what we're trying to do in this country? Oh, absolutely. I think this is absolutely uh, a, a brilliant way to uh, quantify, if you want to call it, or realize this vision that the Honorable Prime Minister has, that uh, as the country, as our economy uh, throws up more and more of these opportunities, that these opportunities should be available to our youngsters, to our startups, to our entrepreneurs, to our larger companies, uh, and that there is uh, ample sources of credit and capital that is available to them to innovate, to research, and to become a nation where what we were for 30 years, a consumer of other people's technologies, to now become a nation actively, proactively, with the ambition of creating and being the producer of the technologies of the future, the innovative platforms, devices and products of the future. So I think one lakh crores <coughs> being given as a government low-cost finance to an institution that will in turn uh, bring in additional resources and, uh, and make this capital available to this ecosystem of companies and startups and individuals who want to innovate and research is absolutely a game changer and a force multiplier in a, in a lot of ways to the ambition that we have to create a trillion dollar digital economy and a five trillion dollar economy. Yeah. A part of creating uh, a digital economy, a small part is of course the role of startups. Um, tax benefits for startups have been announced as well. Do you believe that this is an important Philip for you know young innovators, young inventors who want to who have an idea and want to take it forward? Well, look, uh, look, uh, Vishnu. You know, in 2021, from the ramparts of the Red Fort, 2022 rather, the Honorable Prime Minister said very clearly he laid out this vision of the India decade, a decade of technological opportunities, and he said something very, very, very deep and very meaningful. He said. In a lot of ways, the future of India is going to be architected, scripted, built by the energy, the determination, the resourcefulness of our younger generation of students and startups. And he has worked very, very hard, very proactively to make sure every tool, every enabling uh, requirement that is required to catalyze this and grow this ecosystem of startups is in is in place whether it's policy whether it's capital whether it's institutional and uh, <clears throat> we are seeing that and i said recently on the 16th of january uh, on the national startup day that uh, what we have seen today this one lakh startups and 112 unicorns are really just a tip of the iceberg the next wave of startups uh, is what the country is prepping for what the prime minister is prepping for and all of these things that you see the one lakh crores being set aside for research and innovation, uh, the policies to uh, further make startups easy to, to succeed. These are all in a sense engineered to ensure that there is more and more of this energy that is uh, in a sense driving this ambition of India to be Vikasit Bharat.
I'm not sure there was a direct mention of artificial uh, intelligence or, or generative AI in, in, in this interim budget. It's, of course, a, a smaller document. Um, but going forward, is this an area of, of concern only to the extent that, you know, the export of digital services from Indian IT companies has been a huge value addition for the world's economy. I mean, it's, it's been a huge addition for our economy as well. Uh, therefore, with the... Uh, advent of AI and, and, you know, what people are talking about the future, is there a real fear that unless our companies adapt, then the huge commerce that we generate uh, from the IT sector could be lost because the advantages of AI could be gained by anyone? Yeah, no, look, I think one of the things that Vishnu Vimas realizes is there is nothing static in technology. What was the normal for technology in 2014 is certainly not the normal for the business model of technology in 2024 and will not be the normal for technology in 2029 or 2047. I think companies in tech, whether they are big or small, Indian or foreign startups or large legacy companies, know that this is a constantly moving dynamic landscape. And so if your business model uh, revolved around uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago in, in uh, essentially arbitrage of labor and uh, you know, consultant consulting, uh, certainly you've seen the wave coming, you've seen the changes coming, and you've adapted your business model. So I am not too concerned. You're seeing companies like Infosys and all of these companies uh, get very deeply into AI. And I am very, very confident that the leaders of our companies, the technology companies, understand very much what is to be done to pivot into these new opportunities and in a sense reposition the capabilities that have been built over the last decade into pursuing these huge big tectonic opportunities that are coming their way. And I, sus I, I, I will go out on a limb and tell you that AI for India represents a huge opportunity, a multi-billion dollar, multi-hundred billion dollar opportunity for Indian companies and Indian startups. And I'm beginning to see uh, many, many companies and many, many startups uh, really, really dig deep and uh, focus on AI. So I'm very extremely bullish about India AI. And I'm extremely bullish about Indian companies uh, really capitalizing significantly on the AI boom. Another area which I mentioned earlier really interests you. It interests both of us, the national security <coughs> and defense. You know, there's a release which, which has just come in and uh, which the government says a record of over 6.21 lakh crore is the allocation to the defense ministry, which is 4.72% more than the previous financial year. Very significantly, there is... Um, a 27.1% uh, of the total defense budget has been allocated for capital acquisitions at 1.72 lakh crores, which is substantially more than what it was in the past. The capital expense is uh, in the defense sector is where we've had problems because of our huge pensions. Just the business of running the defense ministry has cost us so much. So if we are now finding funds for capital expenditure in defense, is that not something that's important given the geostrategic environment that we exist in? Oh, absolutely, Vishnu. And th this is really, in a, in a lot of ways, this uh, interim budget is a report card on how the hard work, the forward-looking policies, and the determination of our Prime Minister has qualitatively and quantitatively transformed our economy. Remember, this is the same country, we are all the same Indians, who had to sit in 2014 and uh, suffer the ignominy of being called the fifth uh, five fragile nations. 
this is the same India that could not afford to buy uh, modern fighter jets uh, and allow our uh, neighbors to do whatever they wanted with us because they thought we were too feeble and we were under uh, equipped to deal with these kind of uh, threats and uh, posturing and attacks. This is the same India today that is today created so much of headroom in terms of government resources through growth, through tax buoyancy, through economic growth, investment that is today modernizing our armed forces, creating a future ready capability that will keep at bay anybody who wants to prevent our rise as an economic power. We are certainly a step and a hop away from being the third largest economy in the world. And there are certainly people in our neighborhood who would like to slow our rise down, slow us down. And an absolutely clear, modern deterrent in terms of our armed forces is required, not just in the geopolitical uh, context, but in the context of protecting our rise as a nation and our, 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 as our Prime Minister says, our destiny, our will and our desire to become a developed nation by 2047. And there are many people in our neighborhood, Vishnu, you know that, I don't have to tell, the, tell you their names who certainly are not going to be happy with this type China of... China and Pakistan, uh, you in know, case of viewers are wondering. But go, right, but go right ahead. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, so therefore I think I am, I am very, very proud that A, today we are a country that is able to certainly look after our own interests and our own terms and are able to project our, uh, our determination and force all across the world in a peaceful manner to protect other countries in the world and most importantly to create a homegrown industry where none existed. This is the same country that would buy a trainer aircraft from a chocolate manufacturing nation, Switzerland, well, while we had HALs and while we had other companies in the country. And we today do all of this on our own. So I think certainly that particular aspect that you uh, mentioned is, an, is in many ways a representation of how far we have traveled as a country and an economy in the last 10 years. Um, Minister, you know, uh, sometime back, quite a few months back, we, we had a very meaningful discussion on India's demographic dividend. That's when India became the most populous nation in the world. Uh, that comes back into focus when the minister today spoke of the importance of a trinity of demography, democracy and diversity, which is essential in fulfilling our, all our aspirations. And there were three or four very specific women-focused development incentives. Firstly, the girl child, age 9 to 14, vaccination against cervical cancer, number one. Number two, 83 lakh self-help groups with 9 crore women are transforming the rural socio-economic landscape. Then she spoke about uh, Lakhpati Didis and the number of those going up to as much as 3 crores. When we talk about our demographic dividend, what is the role of women in helping us achieve our economic ambitions oh it is absolutely <clears throat> it was always the case that women in our communities societies and in our economies uh, from traditional times played a very very important role but for many many decades they were really not given the kind of enabling environment for them to go step in and do all of these things that they could to their potential the, the biggest and the most important thing that I certainly <clears throat> go out of my way to, uh, to uh, say that I admire my Prime Minister for is the way in the last 10 years he's transformed the lives of women of India. 
whether it is the Ujwala scheme, whether it is the Hargar Jalpani scheme, in terms of the basic empowerment and dignity, Swachh Bharat scheme, at the basic level of dignity of women, to creating opportunities in government and outside government for women, ranging from the police to the armed forces to fighter pilots. And look, when we saw on January 26th, the Republic Day that was dominated by women in the paramilitary, women in the armed forces, flying, sailing, uh, undersea, <coughs> it is certainly uh, very clear in my mind uh, whether it's a woman in a self-help group, whether it is a woman uh, looking after her household in a village in Haryana or Rajasthan or anywhere in the country who had to suffer uh, you know, for water or health for their children. There has been a deep, decisive transformation in their lives not just from a point of view of health, wellness and social security, but also from a point of view of opportunity and growth and independence. So I think this has been a decade in a lot of ways where a whole ecosystem of opportunity and dignity has been built almost from scratch by Prime Minister Narendra Modi ji for the women of India. And I am certainly as a father, husband, brother, a son, uh, very, very grateful to him uh, and very, very proud that today India is a, is a beacon, not as a democracy alone, is a beacon to our women power, beacon to our youth power, to the rest of the world. And I, I have the distinct honor of meeting a lot of people around the world. And I can tell you that uh, around the world there is a great deal of admiration for how we have transformed the women and youth of our country in terms of the opportunities that they have uh, for themselves and for their future. You know, Minister, I found it quite curious that uh, the, the, the finance minister should mention the India-Middle East-Europe alliance as a strategic economic game changer for India at a time when there's this raging war in West Asia, there is a threat of this conflict spilling over, it already has, um, and yet it's, you know, it, it is something which could be huge for India going forward. Um, but would you not agree that it is curious that the mention of this at a time when things have clearly gone no. south in West Asia? No, I, not at all, not at all. And I think this is, I think the difference between how we have traditionally thought of opportunities in our future and how our Prime Minister thinks of it. He is thinking of this as multi-decadal. He is thinking of this as over the next many, many decades. It is clear that this corridor, the largest democracy in the world, India, one of the largest economies in the world, India, transiting through the Middle East and then connecting with the US is certainly going to be one of the more important and trusted corridors for trade, for wealth creation, for economic opportunities in the coming years. <clears throat> because it is bound by uh, a certain common, not just value, that word is overused and uh, over, uh, uh, you know, misused as well. But really there's a common set of long-term sustainable interests that binds this corridor. Now, in, in I would argue, and I'm not a geopolitical expert as you are, Vishnu, that some of these conflicts that you are seeing today is a result of this redrawing of the global geopolitics. There is resistance to this change. There are interests that are going to be uh, extremely concerned that there is this redrawing of uh, these types of corridors and partnerships. And I think that is certainly why you can expect that these kind of redrawing and these changes will not be without challenge, without, will, will not be without vested interest trying to sabotage it and uh, upend it. So, 
I, I don't think that should be the way to look at uh, what we think this is going to be a very defining corridor in the coming decade. Uh, this is certainly a short-term problem. It is a short, certainly a short-term uh, issue that needs to be addressed by the countries in the Middle East. And I suspect that over time it will be. But, uh, but it, the, the fact and the truth about the fact or the reality of this corridor being the defining economic trade corridor for the future of the world is certainly, in my opinion, not subject to any dispute or question. A final question, a statistic by the <coughs> minister that the average real income of people has increased by 50%. This, in a sense, is the bedrock upon which uh, you know, any plan or program or any aspect of the uh, economy uh, is, is really premised on that people earn more. I mean, it's a clear sign of progress. Um, could you share with us, you know, I mean, how, how has this data on real income been calculated? Because it's tough to understand. I, 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 I certainly don't have access to that data, but I certainly uh, I have absolute faith in our finance minister that she is quoting out of real data and real facts. And empirically and anecdotally, there is enough evidence to suggest that there has been a significant growth in real disposable income, income in the hands of people to spend on themselves, invest in their families and the future of the families. <coughs> Simply take an anecdotal, uh, say, take the instance of the tax slabs. Yeah. The, in 2014, the exemptions were at 2 lakhs and today it is almost at 7 lakhs. So I think if you look at all of the, connect all the dots, which is the only way I can uh, respond to this question because I don't have the data sure. that the finance minister has access to. Certainly this issue uh, is very, very credible and it absolutely uh, sounds more than uh, realistic because of the just simple connecting of the dots in terms of job opportunities, income growth, uh, skilling that is driving upward mobility and entrepreneurship investment that is going in and of course the tax slabs uh, that have been moved from 2 lakhs to 7 lakhs that gives more and more disposable income uh, to the to the to the user to the citizen so i would uh, i i think you are right that that is certainly the bedrock in terms of measuring any government's uh, commitment to its people and that the, we have grown our economy and we have grown the real income of our people are the two, and that we have taken 25 crore Indians out of uh, multidimensional poverty. I think these three things should tell us a lot about what has happened in the last 10 years. All right. <coughs> Minister Rajiv Chandrasekhar, always great speaking to you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for speaking to NDTV, sir. Uh, so the interim budget does not contain any SOPs for sections of voters. Does this signify the present government's confidence about returning to power? I don't think the interim budget has anything to do with returning to power. They are calculating return to power on several other issues which I do not wish to elaborate now. The interim budget according to them is a holding operation. But even a holding operation must acknowledge and recognize the problems faced by the people. I am thoroughly disappointed because the interim budget, at least the speech of the Honorable Finance Minister, does not even acknowledge issues like rampant unemployment, 
high food inflation, the suffering of farmers, the suffering of women, nothing is acknowledged. So I'm thoroughly disappointed. So the finance minister has also said that revised fiscal deficit for this year would be 5.8% and that the government will continue on the path of fiscal consolidation and for 2024-25 it will come down to 5.1%. Do you think the government is doing enough to bring down fiscal deficit? They are making an effort to control the fiscal deficit. I accept it. But how has this fiscal deficit been controlled? It has been controlled by reduced capital expenditure at the state level by 50,000 crore, number one. Number two, the fiscal deficit has been reduced, or at least the reduced number is being shown by cutting major allocations to key health sectors. Look at the allocation in the revised budget for 23-24 and the budget estimate for 24-25. There has been a cut in the allocation. But the government has also said that it has increased capital expenditure by 11%, uh, which re-emphasizes its focus on infrastructure push that many would say is good for the country. Central government's capital expenditure is mainly on railways and roads. Now, roads, of course, are used by everybody. Uh, doesn't make a distinction between uh, poor and rich. But the railway, the major allocations are for higher priced, high sounding trains like Vande Bharat and uh, the Namo Bharat and the Tejas. At the cost of ordinary trains, uh, second class unreserved bogies and compartments which are used for the poor. There is documented evidence that at the cost of the trains which are used for the poor, they are spending massive amounts of money for trains which are largely used by the middle class and the upper middle class. The government also made a very important announcement today that it plans to release a white paper, paper on the alleged mismanagement of the economy prior to 2014. And it says that it, this is aimed at learning from past mistakes. How do you see this move? If the next government happens to be a non-BJP government, they can also uh, announce that we will publish a white paper. The question is who is writing, writing the white paper? <laughs> if the government writes a white paper, we know what the outcome will be. It will be like the 63-page mini-economic survey singing one's praises. Let the independent body, neither associated with the political party, not part of the government today, let an independent group of people write a white paper. But I don't think the finance minister will allow an independent group of international experts to write a paper.